I'm always excited, but today I'm more excited than usual. Oh, I have to remind you who I am. Uh, for those who don't know me yet, I'm Peter Resnick, and welcome to the Dr. Peter Resnick's Toolbox. Uh, the reason I'm so excited is because I'm talking to you not from my usual, my office, my home, but from Texas. Excuse me, I'm trying to adjust here the volume because I hear my voice and it's a little too loud. So I'm talking to you from Texas, from the office of Gary Null. He lent me his office so I could do the show from here. Uh, Gary is doing a very interesting study on anti-aging, and he asked me to do my part, part of the program for anti-aging. It's an interesting study because uh, I don't know, I think that it has not been done yet. Um, he actually wants to demonstrate that within three months, you can significantly change people's mental and physical and emotional state, and so they would feel... Um, objectively much different from uh, than before the program. And so they di did all the testing, they did blood work, uh, and uh, Gary is counseling people in proper eating. They go through so many experiences here. They learn uh, how to cook for themselves uh, in, in healthy vegan food. I have several presenters uh, who teach them um, yoga and uh, Qigong, and I'm doing my program that is, I will mention to you just in general because I don't want to run ahead of time, because yesterday was my first day and I will be doing my program for uh, six days. And so basically I will be talking about several components or pillars of um, I don't like, actually, <laughs> the title anti-aging, though I, I understand the, the premise. But it's interesting because when Luanne called me, and that's an assistant and a colleague of Gary, and told me that um, while you will be doing this program, we discussed um, how I will be coming over, when, and so on. And I said to her, I love Gary, I love the idea. But anti-aging, you know, it's like anti-evening, you know, you may not like evening, you like, like only mornings, and you may like noon, but the evening will come whether you want or not. Whether you feel bad about it, you take medication about it, the evening will come. The difference you can make is you can choose to celebrate evening and to make it beautiful. So, And she immediately came up with a great, great title, she said, Aging with Passion. So actually, my part is aging with passion. And I'm talking about the pillars of that aging with passion. One is, of course, being healthy physically. And that's Gary's job. Gary is talking about it. And as you know, for 50 years, he's been advocating certain lifestyle and certain way of eating. And he has a, a wonderful record of success. So but I'm not touching that subject because Gary is doing such an incredible job. But my uh, subjects, the subjects that I will be covering are, or that is other pillars of living a life with passion uh, is 
one is meaning in life, having a meaningful life. And we'll be talking about having meaningful life. And if somebody doesn't, is not clear about the meaning, uh, the meaning can be found. And we'll be discussing it and using tools to, to find the meaning or to enhance the meaning. The other uh, aspect or other pillar uh, of that kind of a life that people would celebrate life is having the will, willpower to keep the commitment to make the changes that one man may, may choose to make. Meaning uh, a person can have all the tools in the world uh, of how to make changes and, and have clear intention of making those changes. But unless they have uh, a willpower to follow the commitment, nothing will change. So, uh, and I already spoke to you on, n on numerous occasions about this program that I developed called WIT, Will Integration Training. And so I will be introducing these tools of building one's will to this group of people that is called anti-aging group. And the next pillar is dealing with stresses of life. And of course, again, I spoke to you about it already. Stress is not bad. It's distress that is destroying us. This meaning against this resistance to natural stresses of life. And stress by itself, you know, the word stress comes from Latin distrin, uh, um, word distringere, which literally means to stretch out. So when stresses come in our life, challenges come, we stretch out, we become better. We actually improve, we climb the ladder of ourselves. We learn how to deal with those stresses. But it is resistance to those stresses. It's feeling bad about them, judging them, resenting them. Uh, that's what creates really unhealthy environment for a person emotionally. And, and of course, it affects then the body. So I will be talking about to, to this group about how to deal with the distresses of life. And I will talk about major sources of those distresses. Then another pillar uh, of living this life of passion uh, is letting go of all the burdens or what I call accounts payable, accounts receivable, hurts and guilts. So I already gave people an assignment uh, to write the their lists of hurts and the list of guilts, and then I will teach them what to do with it. They don't need to reveal to everyone what's on the list, but we'll talk about how to let go of it completely. Because remember, all those resentments and hurts and guilts are in our body. Uh, Gary actually speaks very beautifully about it, how the body internalizes all, all our feelings and unexpressed feelings, which is uh, emotions. That is the word emotion literally means imovere, to move out of. And when we don't move out of ourselves, our feelings, then the feelings are turned against ourselves. So, and our body pays the price. There is actually a wonderful uh, psychiatrist, Blasé, Van der Kirk, who wrote a book, The Body Keeps Its Score. And he speaks about it very, very nicely. I actually tried to invite Van Kirk to 
one of my shows and it timing was not working out but still will probably bring him to one of our shows but anyway that's what oh and, and finally another pillar is of course you know uh, without it the program wouldn't be complete it's meaningful loving and satisfying relationships because we know human beings are social creatures and the quality of our lives depends on the quality of our relationships so so these are things that I will be covering in these six days. Um, anyway, that's where I am. And I'm so, honestly, I'm so happy to be here. Gary created an incredible, incredible place here. It's 56 acres in Texas. In my ignorance, I, I imagine that Texas is like, you know, desert. I being too... New Mexico, and you drive, yes, you drive to different towns, and it's green in towns, but basically you're driving through desert. And I imagine Texas being a desert. And here, this is, it's East desert, uh, East Texas, two-hour drive from Dallas. And it's so beautiful. It's 56 acres of beauty. And Gary bought uh, a number of, I don't remember how many years ago, he bought this ranch, which was built 100 years ago and didn't make any changes, didn't build modern structures, just repaired everything, and everything is in such beautiful shape, and you know, he rescues animals, and so there were donkeys here, and there were peacocks, and um, he rescued 20 dogs, and they're all sweet, nice dogs, but they need, you know, to get adjusted, and, and so they, they're being taken care of. Uh, there is a beautiful swimming pool of salt water. In fact, I was just swimming there and took a nap before talking to you. So I'm so pleased, happy to be here. It's a wonderful, wonderful place. If you And also he does retreats all the time here. Uh, so I would highly recommend if you can get to one of those retreats. You know, Gary didn't ask me to talk about it. I'm telling you, it's fantastic here. It's one of probably the most beautiful, serene um, places I've been to. Yeah, yeah. So that's my experience so far, and I've been here only for two days. And now we go back to our show. So if any of you want have questions, uh, want to make comments, you're welcome I, uh, to call. I will be taking call. Frankly, I don't even know. I'm not familiar with all this equipment here. So uh, when I use my computer, it shows me actually on the screen uh, somebody is calling. I don't know how I would receive a note here. Maybe somebody will whisper in my ear. Uh, uh, you can try to call. It's 888-874-4888. 888-874-4888. I also want to remind you that next week, remember, it's the last week of the month, last show of the month, we dedicate this show to the night dreams. If you have night dreams that you want to share, you have questions about night dreams, you're welcome uh, to share or to call and ask questions uh, because as I told you it is the most there are many disciplines that I teach many tools I have in my toolbox but night dreams is the most valuable and important body of knowledge that we can have for our total well-being okay so <clears throat> excuse me I have a sip of water 
<clears throat> so, a little show and tell. <coughs> Excuse me. On on Facebook, on my Facebook page, I saw this wonderful picture of Bill Murray, and he holds a little dog, and it's written that's his thoughts. I'm suspicious of people who don't like dogs, but I trust the dog when it doesn't like a person. And I think it's so true. Animals feel human beings. So it, what it reminded me of, excuse me, I need to cough. <coughs> what it reminded me of is of, of Daniel, Prophet Daniel, who was put in a lion den, lion's den, and walked out unharmed. The Bible teaches us that a few animals were created to be not to attack human beings. That is, to appreciate human beings as a species of a high order in whom there is breath of life. So, you would say, how come that so many animals kill humans? Because when there is an animal element in a human being, so then the animal feels that it's another animal, and that's when they attack a human being. So Daniel Poe, we understand, was on such high level when he was put in the lion's den, lions didn't touch him. And it reminds me also of uh, St. Francis of Assisi. He was known to, to be a friend of animals and animals. Wild animals would come and sit at his feet. So he probably was on such a level. And that reminds me of another uh, story. Uh, Wayne Dyer, late Wayne Dyer, you probably know about him. And he told the story in one of his lectures. He had, I think, four or five children, and one time they went to camp somewhere, and they camped right on the edge of the forest. And he said of all his children, his youngest daughter is, was, is so loving and never, never, you know, would offend a fly. Never was, was loving toward any being. And... One time she walked close to the to the edge of the forest completely, so so close that you know, uh, Reindar's wife was concerned. The girl walked by herself, and suddenly, a fox came out of the of the forest, and they all like froze. They were afraid the fox will have, um, attack the girl, and the girl didn't flinch. Didn't was not afraid. And the fox walked close to the girl, rubbed her fur against the girl's leg, and walked away. And Wayne Dyer said he understood 
that there was no anger, zero what we would call the animal instinct, zero resentment of anything in this girl, unlike anyone, including him and other children that he had. And that is why the girl was unharmed. So I don't know. I don't think that wild animals would want to rub against my leg. Um, but that's, that's the story. I don't know how many people we know few that were on that level. Anyway, that's my show and tell. Last, last show, I believe we uh, almost finished talking about fear, different faces of fear. And there was only one exercise that I did not share with you. And I would like to do it because I think it's a very valuable exercise. The exercise was for confidence. Uh, let me, before I do the exercise, let me make a few remarks. Confidence is recognizing your own uniqueness. It's not building your ego. Um, unlike, you know, people go build muscles and they want to be confident. They uh, achieve things because it's important for them to be important, to look powerful. But remember that every human being here has a purpose. Thousands of generations passed so that you would arrive on this scene. There has never been a person like you, never will be. So you are absolutely important and you are unlike everybody else, so do not ever compare yourself to anybody. Many years ago, I wrote an essay called Why, Why uh, We Do Not Need Self-Esteem. Because remember, there was from Latin, estimata, estimata, which means to set a value on. And it was a shocking experience for me when I came to the United States 42 years ago and was just learning English, I heard things like people would say, oh, this person is worth $5 million or $10 million. It's the only time in this language, and I, I know several languages, where human worth was equated to the amount of money that human had in the bank. So, and the esteem of another person is that he is a director of this and this, or, or he owns that and that. That's, that's the esteem, and a person feels good about himself. There is nothing to estimate. There is nothing to set a value on. You are priceless, because there is no one in the world that is going through your experience. And if you are a, a person who is spiritually inclined, you have to know you are enhancing God. So we are all sparks of God. We are all, every one of these sparks, all, every one of these quantums, every one of these waves, are yet another expression of God. So by your human experience, you are helping God to experience God's way of being. So that's all you need to know.
So let's do a little exercise. Those of you who want, close your eyes. And breathe out gently. Long, slow exhalation. And then regular inhalation. Breathing out twice as slow as breathing in. And now think or imagine yourself standing in front of a mirror. And see yourself as you are now. And now in your mind, push the image in the mirror to the left. Breathe out one time. And see yourself now, two years from now. But as a person who is totally embracing the uniqueness, the godliness in you. And push the image to the left. Breathe out one time. And now see yourself as you are to become. When you have achieved faith that you are an image and likeness of God. And once you see that person, push the image to the right side. Then gently breathe out one time and open your eyes. And from this time on, if you want to have this practice, try it for a week and you will see what happens. Anytime you think about yourself, about who you are, and you may be surprised without knowing it, we so often think about us, some, some often pass a judgment of who we are, where we are, what we've done well with our lives, how we've done in, the, in every little uh, situation. We constantly look at ourselves. But what I would like you to do in this coming week, you remember that you are an image of enlightenment of God. Anytime you think about yourself, for a second, you think or imagine that image that you pushed to the right side. Connect with that image and then go right back to doing whatever you're doing. Okay? Good. Somebody wrote an email to me asking me to talk about obsessive-compulsive disorder. And it was kind of a strong request. I understand you, you did not provide your name and you didn't say that you are dealing with the problem. But from the email, I understood that that's a serious issue for you. So before I do anything else, I would like to address this subject, obsessive-compulsive disorder. By the way, if anybody wants to make a comment uh, about this exercise to share with your experience or has a question, this is the time, a good time to, to call. Though, as I said, I don't even know how I would receive the call. Uh, so, please, uh, uh, if you call, uh, probably they will call me from 
uh, from the studio and I will say, yes, you're on the air. Or if from the studio, if you are hearing me, uh, please just let anybody um, speak. Let's put them on the air and I will gladly stop talking about whatever I'm talking and I will take their call. Okay? So now we go to obsessive compulsive disorder. It's OCD, they call it in short. It's a disorder characterized by presence of either obsessions or compulsions or both. So obsession is defined as an unwanted intrusive thought or image or an urge, an impulse that repeatedly enters a person's mind. Now, everything is a spectrum because if a person, if a person is very angry, they may think about somebody who angered them and think about it all day and the thoughts will be coming back and over and over again. It doesn't mean that this person is obsessive, really. It's just they're full of anger. That's a whole other subject. They need to deal with their anger because that anger will destroy them. Remember, that's what the Buddha said. Being angry at someone is like grabbing a handful of hot coals to throw at them whose hand burns first. So that's a whole other subject. But uh, obsession, uh, obsessions are dis di distressing thoughts um, and they are originating in a person's mind and they're not imposed by an external agency, just like, like angry, somebody who is angry, somebody made them, they believe they made them angry. In truth, it's even that. Nobody makes you angry. It's your interpretation of what somebody did makes you angry. But nevertheless, something, this, these feelings were triggered by something from the outside. Obsessions are not triggered by anything from the outside. They're usually uh, regarded by the individual as un unreasonable or excessive. Common obsessions in OCD include uh, fear of being contaminated, dirt, germs, viruses, body fluids, and so on. Fear of harm, for example, that a person feels unsafe, so they will be locking the doors 20 times, and or fear of burning down the house, and they will walk out, about to walk out, and then go and check. That's already then becomes um, compulsion. Either they think, because obsession usually goes with compulsion. A person is is uh, compelled to go and then check if they turned off the heat uh, or, or they turned off gas over and over and over and over again. So uh, there are also religious obsessions. Um, uh, obsessive thoughts may be uh, of often destructive nature, meaning like a person has obsessions uh, about possibly harming somebody. It doesn't mean that they want or they ever will do it, but thoughts of violence, for example, harming their own baby, and the thought will be there. And, and I worked with a woman who had this incredible obsessive thoughts, a wonderful caring mother, 
but have the thoughts that someone that she will drop the baby accidentally, and then maybe she will do it deliberately, and it's just she was suffering a lot. So, so these are uh, obsessions, but very often they then become compulsions, and compulsions are repetitive behaviors uh, that a person keeps going over and over again. A compulsion can be either avert uh, and observed by others, or covert, mental act, because that cannot be uh, observed. Um, it kind of flows to an obsession. Covert compulsions are generally more difficult to resist or monitor than, than avert ones, uh, because they can be performed anywhere without others knowing and they're easier to perform. Com common compulsions include, again, as I said, uh, turning off gas, uh, cleaning, washing, washing your hands, um, hoarding, for example, is yet another compulsion, putting things away because you feel that uh, it will not be enough. And again, everything is on the spectrum because you could, have, you could probably say, or some people would say, I, I have the compulsion because, you know, I came from the Soviet Union and there was not much food there. And when I go to the supermarket, you will see me buy uh, two packs of something. One is enough. A month later, I can go and get another pack, like um, a powder or something. But I will buy two. Why do I need two? Oh, because it will be there, so I don't need to go. But, but possibly it comes from that um, poverty, kind of. What if I don't have enough? I didn't examine it, and I kind of permit myself to live with it because it doesn't harm me, it doesn't harm anybody. But I, I do find that I sometimes buy more than I need. Uh, so, it, because it's not, I don't believe it's harmful to me or anybody, I didn't have to work on it. But but I, I'm telling you, I really, uh, maybe lately I stopped buying it as much. But I remember, you know, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, yeah, I would buy three times as much as I needed just because I had the money and I felt, oh, why not, I, you know. But deep inside, possibly, what if, what, if, what if we don't have? What if it wouldn't be on the shelves? Because there was scarcity back in the Soviet Union. Uh, the compulsion in itself is not pleasurable. People don't enjoy their compulsions. Um, ex except some, like, for example, compulsion for gambling or shopping. That's, they find it enjoyable. Uh, but it's still a compulsion and still something that is not good for them, but they're doing it even though they, they recognize that, that it's not good. And once a person recognizes that it is not good for them and they continue doing, it does not only harm of, of let's say, stealing their time, 
because they're doing it over and over again. I knew somebody who could not get out of his apartment because he needed to check first if gas is turned off and the lights are turned off. And then he would go around an apartment and look for things that were not completed or done right. And sometimes it would take him 30, 40 minutes to get out of the apartment. He would be often late. But I approach all the compulsions as addictions. Once a person knows that it's not good for them to do, and they continue doing it, it's an addiction. And the problem with an addiction is, once you know that, there is, that something is not good for you, let's say smoking a cigarette, it's a physical dependence, but it's also a psychological compul a compulsion. In fact, if it would be smoking would be only physical addiction, people wouldn't have such difficult time stopping. But it's mental compulsion. They connected the act of smoking with many other things. So they pick up the phone, light up a cigarette, have a cup of coffee, light up a cigarette, finish a meal, light up a cigarette, take a break, light up a cigarette. That's a compulsion. And again, the harm about it, not only that they inhale carbon monoxide, carbon dioxide, cyanide, nicotine, arsenic, tar, but also that it does psychological damage. Because each time, you know about direct and indirect suggestions. The, a direct suggestion, let's say somebody tells you, I don't care about you. I don't care about your way of being. I don't care about what you do with your life. That's a direct suggestion. But an indirect suggestion, which unfortunately some parents give to their children, the child comes with a, with a, uh, a drawing, Daddy, look, look what I did. And the parent says, I'm on the phone, or I'm at work, I'm doing my work. But an indirect suggestion is, you don't matter, you're not important. So indirect suggestions are very powerful. They may be debilitating for a person who is receiving them, particularly if it's over and over again. So with compulsions, if you know it's not good for you to wash your hands 25 times before you walk out of, of your home, and each time you do it, you actually give yourself an indirect suggestion. You're a slave. You're not a free person. You're dependent. So this is not a good suggestion to receive. You're being hypnotized by these indirect suggestions about being a loser. You're a loser. You cannot succeed stopping something that you know that you shouldn't do. Of course, very often um, these obsessions and compulsions serve certain purpose. There was this wonderful, wonderful movie. Uh, what was it? It's called, oh, As Good As It Gets with Jack Nicholson, yes, and I think Helen Hunt. And there, uh, the character played by Jack Nicholson is an obsessive-compulsive writer of romantic fictions of all, who is so rude to everyone. Anybody who meets, he's so unpleasant, including his neighbor. And I don't remember for what reason, but he ends up taking care of the neighbor's dog. And he gets attached to the dog. And I remember the scene, you know, he steps over cracks. That's another compulsion. He, he walks on the street and steps over cracks. 
And then he sees his dog begin, <laughs> begins to step over cracks. And he said, no, 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 sweetie, don't do what I do. And he actually stops stepping over cracks. So what was the purpose? Why was he doing this compulsive act? Wait, it's not all. Why is he so nasty? And when he goes to, um, to any restaurant, he takes out his own utensils because he will not use the utensils of others. And then he meets this waitress with whom he is also very rude, played by Helen uh, Hunt. And she's so sweet and she's so gentle and caring and supportive. And he falls in love with her. I, I remember, uh, you know, I saw the movie maybe more than 20 years ago, but I remember... She says, why do you want to talk to me? Why do you want to talk to me? You know, because he is quite nasty and he pauses and thinks, why? And he, then he says, because you want me, you make me want to be a better man. And he verbalizes it and he realizes that this is true. And so they go to a restaurant together. They sit down, and she is so sweet, absolutely doesn't judge him. And he goes into his side pocket to pull out his own utensils, and then he looks at her, and he doesn't take them out. And he eats like everybody else, using utensils they available. So, so what was the purpose for him to be that nasty and to have all these compulsions? I tell you why. That's my understanding. That's my understanding of obsessive-compulsive disorder. It served the purpose. He doesn't knew, didn't know how to relate to human beings. He wrote these romantic novels. People loved the novels. But it was the world of fantasy. He himself, and we don't know why, where it came from, but he himself did not know how to relate to people didn't know how to be courteous, how to be gentle, how to be supportive. Just didn't get it. Maybe he didn't see it around him. Who knows? So he needed to protect himself. In, not, not by chance. Also, he was lacking his apartment on six, seven locks. That's how, oh yeah, that's how the movie begins. You see a hand and turning, uh, turning the locks. One. Two, three, four, seven locks. That was his apartment. When he would go out, he would open the locks. He comes in, he closes the locks. Why? He did not know how to relate to people. He didn't trust people. And so he developed this nastiness uh, to guard himself, to, to separate himself from people. From, from anybody, even from dogs. And, but then, once he became attached to the dog, once he became, to, became attached to this woman, he no longer needed this protection. So when he drops the protection. So all these compulsions, all these, we can call it negative behaviors, they're not evil, they're just survival mechanisms. So, uh, and in order to live a better quality of life, you have to acknowledge this is a survival mechanism. And I'm thankful to you, 
whatever it is, my, my compulsion, my dear obsession, I'm thankful to you for serving me till now. But at this moment, there is no need for me uh, in your help. Maybe you can serve a different purpose. The, the, actually, there is, a, there is a wonderful psychologist from Harvard, uh, Richard Schwartz, who came up with whole, the, the whole approach that he developed in a big teaching called Internal Family Systems. And, and he says that all our qualities, which we sometimes call bad, they all needed their parts. What, why it's called internal family systems is because we have this internal family of many different qualities. And they're all there to help us to survive. And maybe they were very helpful and needed at some time in our life. But now as we mature, we do it habitually. We have those qualities. And it's our goal to engage them, to thank them, and then to assign them new functions. You see, like, like I worked with a, with a young woman who would, would constantly have this internal judge. Anything she would do, the judge would, would judge harshly and say, you're not good enough, you, this, this was not as good as as your friends, and so on. Very, we would call it a person who is very judgmental. But uh, what Richard Schwartz would say, no, no, this is a part of her, and the, uh, this I agree, this is a part of her that judges. And maybe she grew up in an unsafe environment. Maybe she just learned to judge from other people, from parents or friends. But now it's not necessary. So what I did with this woman, I said, listen, the, the, the part, one, it's like a living part of you. We don't want to get rid of it, but you can assign it a new function. Ask it from now on, rather than passing a judgment, simply remind you to celebrate life on every occasion. Anything happens in your life, Ask this part to remind you to say, thank you, thank you, God, thank you, universe, thank you, life itself, for me having this experience, because this woman was not really appreciative of all the gifts that she had in life. So it worked very well. So, because parts of us, these are like little living entities. Every entity that is born then wants your time and attention. So you can either fight them, trying to kill them, or you can help them to transform, assigning them different qualities. Do we have any callers? I don't even know if the studio is listening to me. Listen, I have this big, big, big now, uh, I don't even know how to call it, uh, machine, Gary knows, with all the buttons I'm afraid even to touch. And I don't know if they can communicate with me. So I hope uh, nobody actually is calling uh, if, if I cannot be reached. But I really don't know. So I will continue talking, ladies and gentlemen. It's really fun talking from, from the office of the master. Really, I, I'm so appreciative, actually, of 
uh, being in this place uh, and and I see what Gary is doing with people you know so many people come uh, I speak to this uh, there is a there is like uh, 20 people uh, who are in this study group with anti-aging and then there is as many or more people who come for retreats it was very cute. Some of them walked over to me and introduced themselves and said that they are listening to my show, which is nice. Uh, but so many of them talk about how their lives changed as they started following Gary's protocols. And I know I know Gary for 25 years, and he sent to me some patients. And I have to tell you, so, so many people people's lives were affected by his teaching. So for me, it's a privilege to, to be here. And in addition, you know, I am using his office, excuse me. So anyway, uh, we have still 15 minutes. So let me go a little bit in a different direction now. Uh, I did not forget if, if some of you wonder where where is the six pillars of well-being that I started talking about? Remember, we started this journey already two years ago, and we covered all the pillars. I spoke to you about physical well-being, then about social conditioning and how we become victims of social conditioning. Uh, and then our uh, feelings, and our self-talk, how we affect ourselves um, with our self-talk. And then we covered our unconscious beliefs. If you remember, we took you through a series of exercises to, dis to discover what your unconscious beliefs are. And then now we are on the fifth pillar. And these are our conscious beliefs, attitudes, and character traits. And I think I mentioned to you, I so far I came up with 23 what we can call toxic attitudes or toxic character traits. And we covered already most of them. We spoke about judgment and blame and anger and greed and uh, need for approval and doubt and expectations. So we covered many. And once we cover all of them, and I think that I almost finished, I have only two more to cover. And that is um, stinginess and wastefulness. And that's it, we'll be finished with this pillar five. And then we'll go through pillar six, which are your moral and spiritual beliefs. And with spiritual beliefs, after we cover moral beliefs, we'll be just having, it will be a didactic experience. I will be just talking about them. But those of you who are interested in spiritual exploration, I will take through a series of mental exercises exploring your spiritual um, reality. But as I was speaking to you, uh, <laughs> I just remembered something. I'm so glad that it came to my mind. I mentioned the six pillars of well-being, and I mentioned to you the social conditioning, and now what came to my mind, and I didn't think of it 
for this anti-aging group, but now, because I thought of it, I will remember to do that. And it's to, to talk because we need to dismantle social conditioning that people have toward aging. In fact, I need to make notes so I would remember to talk about it. Social conditioning. Because if, a, if people are conditioned, that is, their belief is strong, that, you know, with age, different functions, we begin to malfunction. With age, you lose certain properties. With age, there, there are many, many nonsensical beliefs that we have. Our body follows those beliefs. You know, in, in Andes, uh, people of the tribe called Taraumara, they live healthy lives uh, till old age, die in their sleep. And as long as they live till, till 90, 100, they have sex. Because it's like air, food, uh, sleep, and sex. But here in, in, I remember, oh God, I remember this horrific experience when I was in graduate school. At some point, I was in a nursing home and uh, a couple was brought to a nursing home, a, a husband and a wife. And the nurse, or I don't remember now, it was so long ago, but whoever was in charge said, well, Mr. M will go in that room. We have a, you know, they, they usually place people, two people in one room. Uh, and they said, Mr. M will go because there is a space in room number six, let's say, and Mrs. M in room number 10 because there is an, one space available in room number 10 for a woman. And I said, I said, wait a minute, this is a couple, their husband and wife, they spent so many years together, uh, isn't it appropriate for them to have, uh, to be in the same room? I don't even remember why they were both at, suddenly brought to the nursing home, maybe they fell, maybe some, they were quite old. And the lady smiled and said, what, they're going to have sex? Do they need it? And, and I was shocked, honestly. I had no voice. I told her what I thought, and that was it. But think about it. Or I don't think that I insisted, or I didn't have courage, probably, or I felt that's how that was the protocol. But it was very simple. They could just move, uh, you know, people uh, to uh, rooms because two spaces were available. So they could give this one space to a man and a woman, but maybe no, no, uh, maybe they did not have space. But I, I just felt it was inhumane that they separated this couple. So your beliefs in in your well-being will affect your physiology. In fact, there was a doctor, oh, I'm so happy that I'm remembering it now, I will include it in part of my um, class with the anti-aging group or aging with passion group uh, because Dr. Alexander Leaf from Harvard School of Medicine when he retired he went around the United States and many other countries traveling to see uh, where people live long lives and he discovered 
Some people believe, oh, because people live in the mountains. No, he found people living in the plains or in the mountains. Lived, some people lived very long lives. And one common thing among all of them was this, that being old in that society was enviable, which means getting old was so respected. So no wonder that our people, in America people are, shipped nursing homes and they deteriorate very quickly there because all the people are not valued here unless they have a lot of money. But in society, what he concluded, in a society where getting old is enviable, it is respected, people live in clarity and good health and fully functional to the old, old age. So... I'm glad I remembered it. Anyway, uh, let's let's start. I don't hear calls, and maybe I cannot receive calls. I don't know how it works. But uh, let's start now with stinginess. We, mm, I know we have only five minutes. So we need to cover stinginess and wastefulness. But remember, next week I will be taking calls and please call me with your night dreams you can prepare now. You know, I don't think it's time to, to talk about stinginess because it's a big subject and I will just be able to say just a few words. Anyway, prepare, please prepare yourself. Um, write down your night dreams. By the way, if you don't remember your night dreams, uh, you can remember. You take vitamin B6, 50 milligrams if you are under the weight of 150 pounds, if you're uh, over 150, if you're 200 pounds, you can take even 100 milligrams of vitamin B6 half an hour before going to sleep. And it seems that it helps for people to remember dreams. Also, you need to have, you need to inform your subconscious mind that you are interested in hearing, uh, in remembering your night dreams. Because remember, if a Broadway show is not attended, what do they do? They close the show. So if you were not paying attention to your night dreams, not recording them, not working with them, so you, you stop remembering them. When you were a child, you probably did remember your night dreams. So uh, make a decision that you will remember your night dreams and put, your, put a, a, a notebook, open it, and put a pen in an, an open notebook, having the intention, mental intention, intention, when I wake up, I will write down my night dreams. Also, if you want to start working on your night dreams before the show, that would be very useful, that you would not just call and say, here is my night dream, what do you think? But you would say, here, what I did with my night dream, do you have any other comments? So, in order to do that, read my article. You go on my website, drpeterresnik.com, D-R-P-E-T-E-R-R-E-Z-N-S-N-C-I-K.com, drpeterresnik.com. Go on the articles and find the article called Night Dreams. Oh, no, I'm sorry, Night Dreams. Uh, dream work. The article is called Dream Work. 
I teach in this article not only how to understand the dreams, but how to engage them, how to make corrections within dreams. So I believe it's very useful uh, for you to know to get engaged with your night dreams. In fact, when I work with people, regardless whether I work with a person on 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 uh, the emotional challenges, uh, depression, anxiety, or they have cancer, whatever they work with, their graduation is learning, knowing how to work with their night dreams. Because remember, the night dream is not only a reflection of where you are in life, but it's also a blueprint of where you're going. So please, if you have any questions, um, call me. And also, if you have a question that needs to be answered regarding your life, and, and you don't have an answer, you make a little note, you write uh, a note, not on your cell phone, your tablet, no. On a piece of paper, you write, Dear Higher Self, please inform me through my night dreams about such and such thing. And then put it under, under your pillow. And then every morning when you wake up, whatever comes, whatever, even a snippet of a dream, you write it down. Okay? So now our show is coming to an end. I, I hope um, it was okay for you to listen. For me, it was fun to be in Gary's office. Um, so I, I would appreciate any of your comments. I gave you my email. Uh, have a wonderful, wonderful week. I'm looking forward to having your attention next Tuesday at 2 o'clock Eastern Time. I'll be happy. Peace to all who want to live in peace. <laughs>